Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final for Progressive Field. We've got more doubleheader action here. Game one, it's the New York Yankees 13, the Cleveland Guardians 4. Game two, it's the New York Yankees 6, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I appreciate you. This episode is getting up a little bit late. It was a busy morning in the Barris household. I've uh, I don't have a different co-host with me this morning. I've got my four-legged uh, co-host with me this morning, sitting up here on the guest bed, and uh, we'll see if he behaves throughout the episode. Um, I did not get to watch a lot of these games. I listened to as much as I could on the radio, but it was a beautiful holiday weekend day in Cleveland, and I took advantage of it. Me and the family were out and about doing things, having fun. So I listened to as much as I could on the radio, but you know, I just didn't get to fully immerse myself in these games like I do most nights. So a little bit of what I'm going to say is going from the box score and the highlights and the reactions and going over the highlights in the morning. I love that MLB app has those condensed games because it's a great way for me to refresh in the mornings before getting into this. So you're not going to feel, you know, I wasn't on the edge of my seat for any of this because I wasn't watching it live. Uh, I kind of knew that we got our butts kicked. Uh, So going back and watching the highlights, it was kind of like, okay, how did it all go down? Oh, frick. This is how it went down? Like, really? Really, it went down like this, and uh, you know, one of our emailers here is doing the legwork for me. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about, morning people. This is the kind of email I want to get. Phil in Louisville, friend of the show, uh, Phil in Louisville sent this email in uh, at one in the morning. Uh, he was he was a little bit upset. I'm going to try to summarize this email because it's pretty long. But basically, he says, hey, Davey, don't really understand how the Friday rainout screwed up the Guardians rotation. By the way, if you've got to lead the league in something, I guess we're leading the league in uh, rainouts and double plays. We have to be, right? We have to be leading the league in rainouts. It's it's absolutely ridiculous at this point. Uh, I believe Savali was going to pitch Friday night, so why not start him in game one on Saturday doubleheader so he has an extra day of rest? So what? They have McKenzie pitch the nightcap. I think, Phil... I think it's because it would have screwed them up at the end of the rotation then, right? A week later when Savali's turn was supposed to come up again, he would have been on three days rest instead of four days, you know, a normal four days rest, and it would have screwed up the rotation in that way. So now he pitches at the end of that Detroit series on normal rest, whereas he would have been pitching on short rest. Uh, it would have screwed up the whole rotation, it would have backed up the whole rotation on short rest then in that situation. So uh, they're going to need to use another minor league guy. I think they already announced it's going to be Pilkington for the doubleheader Monday against Detroit. So yeah, I think that's why I think they just, they didn't want to log jam the rotation and then have to go to their triple a guys outside of the doubleheader. Cause you do get to call up a 27th guy for the doubleheader. Maybe it makes that transaction a little easier. So they call up Kirk McCarty and he's right. A 26-year-old lefty with over a five-year minor league career has a 21 and 27 record with a 4.35 ERA, 8.75 Ks per nine, 2.65 betting average against, a 1.32 WHIP, and gives up 1.21 home runs per nine innings and an OPS against of 7.49. Like I said, Phil doing the legwork for me. I didn't even have to look up Kurt McCarty's numbers. Uh, so yeah, so 
he doesn't understand why there was other options, other guys, Badenfeld or uh, Connor Pilkington again. Pilkington is going to go on Monday for that doubleheader. He asked about some of the double A guys. Um, yeah, those guys are good and they're definitely coming. But honestly, Phil, I think it was a 40 man roster situation. McCarty's on the 40 man roster, makes it a really easy transaction. They have just DFA'd a ton of guys. Uh, really, they've really shuffled through a ton of guys on the 40-man roster. So to DFA more guys and add more guys to the 40-man roster, clearly they thought they could get away with one of their AAA starters, even if he's kind of sucked in the minors, frankly, right? Even if he hasn't had the best minor league career, they thought they could have got away with one of their AAA guys who's already on the 40-man roster. It clearly did not work out. I mean, we lose 13 to 4. It did not work out. It was a bad decision. And they did. He says, we concede the first game of the doubleheader before the first pitch was thrown. Each game is a precious opportunity. One game could be the difference between winning the division or earning a wildcard spot versus our season ending October 5th. If we want to be a contender, we have to act like a contender. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, just looking from Terry Francona's reaction to the press conference afterwards, I yeah, it does feel a little bit like they felt like the Yankees are in town. They're going to kick our butts. We're lucky if we get away with one game in this series. It didn't feel like contenders going up against contenders, right? It, it did not feel like two contenders battling it out on a holiday weekend. It felt like us having to deal with the New York Yankees on a holiday weekend. So thank you, Phil, for the email. Thanks for kicking off this episode with your email. Uh, let's get into the storylines of the Kirk McCarty start. Cause yeah, it did feel like we were kind of giving away this first game. Now I kind of made the joke. I put a poll up on Twitter. McCarty going into this had given up as many home runs as he had recorded strikeouts. He had given up five home runs in his two major league appearances and recorded five strikeouts. So I threw the poll up to see what do you think he was going to end the day with more home runs or more strikeouts. You weren't as pessimistic as I thought you were going to be on Twitter, <laughs> Uh, but the home runs definitely won in the poll. Uh, he does end the day with more strikeouts than home runs, at least in his career. It's eight to six. That's not a good ratio, though. Your home run and your strikeout numbers should not be that close. Uh, that is not a recipe for success. So he does go five innings in this, gives up six hits, four earned runs. They all come in one inning. They all come in the third inning. And it wasn't the home run ball. It was actually a solo home run that kicked off that rally. The key was this was the second time through the lineup. And uh, Hamilton was all over this on the radio. I was listening to the most of this inning, and he was all over it. He, he called it out as soon as LeMahieu came up. What's going to happen? Second time through the lineup. How's McCartney going to go? Now, he did have some interesting insights. Apparently, McCarty and Sandy Leone talked before the game. They, had a, they, they worked out a good game plan before the game about being aggressive. And Fracona said for the first two innings, he was aggressive. Now, he was in trouble in that first inning. But he was aggressive uh, with the fastball, and then it all fell apart in that third inning. Um, and yeah, they were just, it wasn't the home run ball. They were just rallying off of him. They just really put together a solid rally off him. The walks don't help. I mean, he, he puts himself in this situation, frankly. He gives up a solo home run and two walks with one. This is all with one out after he strikes out Marwin Gonzalez at the bottom of the lineup. So you're really putting yourself in a bad situation there. He actually strikes out Giancarlo Stanton. He actually had a chance to get out of this. Most of this rally happens with two outs. Andujar hits a single in the left. Now, Hamilton, I thought, was a little hard on, uh, who was it, Palacios out there in left field for us. 
because he makes the throw home, and Palacios does not have a strong arm. He tries to get Judge going home. Uh, it lets the runners go up to second and third. Hamilton was kind of crushing him a little bit on the radio, saying that was a bad decision throwing home. It allowed those runners to advance. Frankly, watching the replay it was closer than I thought it was by listening to the radio call. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it is a situation where you have to know as an outfielder that comes with experience in the outfield of when is my opportunity to throw home and when's my opportunity to hold those runners and maybe limit an inning, limit the damage in the inning. Instead, he throws home. Uh, he can't get judged. The runners advance. Then Hicks with a single into right field and both runs come in to score. So yeah, McCarty lets this inning get away from him. He pays for the two walks. That was his problem on the day. It wasn't home runs. Uh, it was walks. He had four walks on the day. And uh, yeah, that's going to cost you. That's going to cost you, especially when they're just smacking the ball around uh, off of you anyways, right? They're hard-hitting everything on the day. They had 19 hard-hit balls in just game one alone. That's a 55.9% hard-hit rate. That's insanity. We never see the number get that high, the team number. The Guardians had six hard-hit balls off of the Yankees pitching in that first game. And they had 19. No wonder they won, you know, with double digits. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't end well for Kirk McCarty. And then the bullpen just absolutely implodes after that. I mean, Ghost is one of our go-to guys, and he gives up four runs coming in in that sixth inning. Uh, and then uh, Castro comes in after him. And then Ernie Clement mops up in that last inning. So, yeah, it is the bottom of the bullpen, right? It's, it's, it's not even the bullpen. He goes to one of his position players because it's that out of hand. And he's just not going to waste anybody in game one. It does feel like looking at this pitching mix here, I mean, Ghost is one of your fine starters, but Castro is clearly the last guy in the bullpen. He is a guy, both him and Clement, are candidates to not be on this team by, by the end of the weekend, maybe even, by the all-star game rolling around. Clement has an option, so he can go back down. Castro can go back down, so you don't have to DFA these guys. But yeah, they might be making room for other players uh, very soon here. Gabriel Arias got the call up. Uh, and yeah, he can play multiple positions on the infield. So that really might uh, push Clement out. You know, makes Clement not, not necessary on this team if we got Arias up here. Now, Arias wasn't just called up for the doubleheader, I believe. I believe Gabriel Arias was actually just called up to the team. I mean, Oscar Gonzalez goes on the IL with that core injury. Um, that's that's tough for a guy who swings as hard as he does to have something in the rib cage that's wrong. Uh, hopefully, he bounces back just fine. But Arias, I believe, was called up in that spot, and that does throw off the balance of infielders to outfielders. It makes us really thin in the outfield. And you see, in game two, Clement has to go out and play left field, and I'm at and uh, Fermil Reyes is playing some right field. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, unless those guys are going to get more time in the outfield, we need to rebalance the roster a little bit. Maybe an outfielder, maybe Nolan Jones has an opportunity here to get the call-up we've been waiting for. Uh, it's possible, right? It makes sense uh, with how bad Clement has hit. Uh, he just doesn't provide anything offensively. So... I see it. I see that as a good situation to get Nolan Jones up here, to get one of our hitting outfielders or Will Brennan or some one of these guys down in AAA. Our, our AAA team is ridiculous. 
If you didn't waste your time with the Guardians the last two days and you were paying attention instead to Columbus, you saw some fantastic offensive baseball. I think they've seen, I saw they scored, they've scored 10 plus runs in the last four games straight and five of the last six. I think I saw that on Twitter. The Columbus Clippers are absolutely demolishing the baseball right now. And if you want to pull a little bit of that offense up into the Guardians, I wouldn't complain about that. All right, offensively, uh, most of this happens because of solo home runs and then Araldis Chapman imploding. Uh, in the second inning of game one, the Guardians go back-to-back. Naylor and Fermil Reyes go back-to-back. I thought they were interesting at-bats. Uh, Naylor just gets one from Garrett Cole to lead off the inning right at the top of the zone. Just a meaty cutter right there in the middle of the plate. And he unloads on it. He was not messing around at all. He has made a concerted effort to hit home runs lately, it feels like. He is swinging for the fences a little bit, Josh Naylor. And uh, he lays off a fastball down below the knees for ball one and then gets this cutter right down the pipe at the letters and goes up and gets at 108.6 miles per hour, 415 feet to center field, his 10th home run on the season. Is it possible that we get a 20 home run season out of Josh Naylor? That'd be, that wouldn't be too bad. That would not be too bad for a team that's completely built on contact. To have one 20 home run hitter in the middle of the lineup wouldn't be too bad. And then for Mio Reyes, this is a situation of a guy getting the green light. Getting the green light on a 3-0 count. He was away. He stayed away. Garrett Cole, fastball away, misses. Fastball away, misses. Slider away, misses. All in the same spot. Low and away. Then comes back with a four-seam fastball at the belt away. On, on the outside edge of the, outside of the plate, but still pretty close to the middle of the plate. He's got him looking away. He throws him one now hittable away. And he absolutely smokes this thing, 105.2 miles per hour, 370 over the wall in right field for a home run, for his fifth home run on the season. Uh, this is a situation of you, Garrett Cole doesn't mix up location at all, away, 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 and now hittable away. And uh, Reyes, I'm glad he took advantage of this pitch. I'm glad he didn't sit 3-0 and just let this pitch go by. Because for me, Reyes needs to build that confidence up. By hitting some pitches that he sees. If he if he sees it, I want him swinging at it. Uh, so yeah, so for Mio Reyes, back-to-back home runs. Frankly, you felt you felt okay in this game. Boy, even in that third inning, it's a 4-2 game. You still kind of have a chance. You do have a couple runners reach base, but the offense just never really gets going again. And then the bottom of the seventh inning, that's just ridiculous. Now it's an 8-2 game, so the game is kind of blown. No, it's a 10-2 game. The bullpen has already imploded. The, like, the game's over. Araldis Chapman, coming back from injury, ends up walking three batters in a row. So that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, then a bunch of force outs and ground outs and things like that uh, get two of the runs in. So we do make it a 10-4 game, but that one was this one was already out of hand, right? Let's move on. I mean, this game got out of hand so fast. We were getting hammered by the Yankees. LeMahieu had two hits, three runs scored. Glaber Torres had uh, three hits and three RBIs. He had a good game. Uh, you actually, Stanton was quiet and Judge was pretty quiet in this game, although he did walk twice. Uh, those guys were actually pretty quiet. It was uh, Andujar, uh, Aaron Hicks had a multi-hit game. Uh, Carpenter, Matt Carpenter, three for five. 
Two home runs. Yeah, one of them was off Clement. Four RBIs. Matt Carpenter had himself a game. Now, you're thinking to yourself, Matt Carpenter, where do I know that name from? Longtime St. Louis Cardinals third baseman Matt Carpenter. Three-time All-Star, NL All-Star Matt Carpenter. Uh, big home run hitter in the middle of that St. Louis lineup in the 20-teens. Maxed out at 36 home runs in the 2018 season. And then everything falls off a cliff for him. The power falls off a cliff for him. The batting average. His last two years in St. Louis, he's batting under 200. And so what do they do? They finally let him go. Texas picks him up on a minor league contract. They don't even bring him up to the majors. They eventually release him from AAA. I don't know. Was it, I don't know if it was one of those situations where they asked for his release to see if he can catch on with a major league team, but he does. He catches on with the Yankees in 51 plate appearances. Now he's got eight home runs, 17 RBIs. He's hitting 293 with a 1.322 OPS. What in the world? What he goes to New York at age 36 and suddenly just becomes a Bronx bomber like that. Like that, turns himself back into a power hitter. Unbelievable career resurrection from Matt Carpenter. I can tell you the fans in St. Louis are probably thinking to themselves, what in the world? Are you out of your mind? 186, 169 batting average. Matt Carpenter is now hitting 293 for the Yankees. So this game definitely helped that. He absolutely destroyed us in uh, game one here. All right, game two. Let's get into Game 2. You know these doubleheader episodes are always long episodes. Game 2 here. uh, This was another situation where this was actually a baseball game up into the 7th inning. I mean, it was a 2-1. The Guardians take the lead on, uh, you know, a first inning solo home run from Ahmed Rosario. It's a good job of Ahmed Rosario going out and getting a pitch um, and driving it out to center field. I mean, flashing a little bit of power here. Uh, in this first inning, let's look at the full at bat. Uh, he fouls off a four seam. Fa- uh, you know what? Frankly, there's no reason looking at this at bat. It's a fastball right down the middle. Uh, and, and coincidentally, he starts him off. The first pitch of the at bat was a fastball right down the middle. He comes back. He's actually ahead in the count one and two, and he throws him a fastball. I mean, I could not. You you couldn't even click with the mouse and get more in the center of the strike zone than this pitch is right here. You couldn't, in a video game, if you just hit X and then hit X again and didn't move the joystick, you couldn't get a pitch more in the center of the strike zone than this pitch from Nestor Cortez to Ahmed Rosario. And he makes him pay. 102.4 miles per hour, 388 to dead center field over a leaping Aaron Judge, which is, that's an obstacle on its own. That should affect the expected batting average too, right? No, it's just launch angle and exit velocity. It has nothing to do with how tall the center fielder is. Um, so, yeah, so Ahmed Rosario puts us ahead, and frankly, Savali's pitching pretty good. Now, what do they do? The Yankees go back-to-back on us. They do the same thing we did to them in the fourth inning to take a 2-1 lead. Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton go back-to-back. These, uh, these were interesting at-bats as well. Um, the one from Rizzo is just a situation of missing on his first two pitches. He misses at the top of the zone with a cutter. It's close. It's close, but it's called ball one. He misses just below the knees with a splitter. Now he's behind 2-0. Yeah, he's got to throw a strike, and he throws him a sinker out up over the plate, and he drives this thing 105.2 miles per hour 
409 into center field for a home run. His 22nd home run of the season. Oh, my God. It feels like every move the Yankees made this offseason, their fans hated and has worked out for them, including bringing back Anthony Rizzo. 22 home runs on the season. Man. God, I wish the Guardians had been more aggressive in the offseason. There were some first basemen out there that they could have got. And Rizzo sat out there a long time in free agency. A lot of teams could have taken a shot at him. And then Giancarlo Stanton comes up. And, man, Savali had him. A called strike sinker to start the at-bat. He misses high with a four-team fastball. Comes back in and jams him on the inside edge with a foul ball. He fouls off a sinker. He's perfectly set up for a slider down and away. You just pounded him inside twice with the sinker. He was perfectly set up for a slider down and away. And instead, he's, that's, where, that's where the catcher was set up. Instead, he spins one at the thighs right down the middle of the plate. Completely misses his location. And you want to talk about hard hit balls. Giancarlo Stanton, 113.9 miles per hour, 432 feet into center field. And his 20th home run of the season absolutely destroys this. And I mean, it's Stanton. You throw him a spinner like this right down the middle of the plate, he's going to make you pay. So this is a situation where Savali just, I mean, absolutely missed his location. If this pitch is down and away, he's probably got a strikeout. He probably has a strikeout. Instead, he's got back-to-back home runs. Location, location, location. It matters in pitching. Uh, None of the Guardian stuff outside of I mean, maybe Classe. It doesn't even work for Ghosh or uh, De Los Santos or Stefan, who can get the fastball up there at 98 miles per hour, right? Those guys throw heat. And even it doesn't matter for them. If they miss their location, they get hammered. Classe with the movement on the cutter is about the only guy that can really put it anywhere in the strike zone and probably get a ground ball out of it. So, yeah. Uh, other than that, though, Savali was very good. His uh, going to the player breakdown here, uh, going up against Nestor Cortez, who was also very good on the day. Uh, Savali, it was all about the curveball for him. He had a 64% whiff rate on that curveball. He had 11 called strikes with the sinker with the two-seamer. Uh, the cutter wasn't really getting the strikes. Uh, they were hitting that sinker pretty hard. They averaged a 95.5 mile per exit velocity off it on eight balls in play. But the curveball, they only put one in play. They did hit it 102.3 miles per hour. But in 32 curveballs, they only put one in play. Nine whiffs on 14 swings and five called strikes. It's a 44% CSW total on the curveball. It's a 31% total CSW on the day for Aaron Savali. The curveball was working. And if we go over to the illustrator here and we take a look at the strikeouts, you won't be surprised to know that five of his six strikeouts come on curveballs. And some of these are challenge curveballs. Not all of these are buried below the strike zone. Uh, That's what Garrett Cole was doing in the first game. He buried a bunch of sliders down and away and got us to chase a ton of sliders down and away this one, Savali's actually throwing some very competitive curveballs here right at the knees and getting swinging strikes or foul tips on him. He does have two below the knees that he gets guys to chase. And then he got Rizzo to chase on a high cutter, uh, which is an interesting pitch on a 3-2 count to the lefty that he swings through for a strike. So that's where all Aaron Savali's um, strikeouts come on the day. 
Unfortunately, the Guardians offense just does not have anything against Nestor Cortez. Cortez was getting his strikeouts on all his fastballs. He throws three different style fastballs, but he got three four-seam strikeouts here. He's got two cutters, and he's got one two-seam sinker that he gets Owen Miller to foul tip on. So he was doing it with the fastball, with the hard stuff, and he's locating it up and down. He wasn't one fastball that he gets uh, Jose Ramirez to expand the zone on, a swinging strike in the first inning. But other than that, it's not really about expanding the zone left and right. It's about going up and down, working top to bottom of the strike zone for Nestor Cortez. And going to his player breakdown, uh, 44% whiff rate on his four-seam fastball. On his fastball, we only put four in play. That's not good. This is a four-seam fastball. You should be hammering this pitch. Uh, yeah, so it's only coming in at 91.4 miles per hour. And we got a 44% whiff rate on that? So that's the guy to tell me it's got it's all about location with that, right? Uh, the cutter wasn't spectacular. The slider, he had 10 called strikes on the slider. What? What? He's pounding the strike zone with his slider? And yeah, if we go back to the illustrator and uh, look at all his pitches, he's pounding the strike zone with everything. He did not go down below the knees a lot in this game. There's very few pitches below the knees. Most stuff is in the strike zone or at the top of the strike zone from Nestor Cortez. And it was working. He's got a 31% total CSW on the day. Uh, so that was your battle between Cortez and uh, Aaron Savali. And things just fall apart for the Guardians in that seventh inning. Uh, did Savali start that seventh inning? Yes, he starts the seventh inning, and the same guys that got him earlier, Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton, go back-to-back singles this time. That drives Savali out of the game. It would bring in De Los Santos, and he would immediately give up a double to Josh Donaldson. Donaldson, absolutely. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about location here. Let's go to the let's go to the matchup on this one, and uh, you'll see here where he completely misses. His, wow. I was not expecting this. He threw him seven four-seam fastballs in a row, all at the top of the strike zone, all basically in the same location. You didn't think to mix one slider in against Donaldson? Especially once he got it up to, he was at a 2-2 count. He didn't want to throw one slider. Instead, he goes 3-2. He misses with a four-seam fastball away, throws him another four-seam fastball up and on the outside edge that he fouls off. And then finally puts a four-seam fastball right down the middle at the letters, and he drives it. He doesn't just drive this thing in the left field. This is a 97-mile-per-hour pitch. He was so ready for a four-seam fastball that he gets out ahead of this thing and drives it into the left field corner. You would think a 97-mile-per-hour fastball would have a guy on his heels a little bit. Not when he's seen it six times in a row. The speed is no longer a factor anymore. He was so far out ahead of this pitch. Hits at 111.1 miles per hour into the left field corner, and it brings in Rizzo to score. Then after that, Andujar reaches on a fielder's choice. Um, oh, that's right. They get the rundown. They get the runner in the rundown in this situation. Uh, but then the throwing error by De Los Santos. So they do get the out of the runner trying to go home with the rundown after Andujar hits into this fielder's choice. Um Nothing too crazy happens in the rundown. They get the runner out. They tag him out. The runners, one advances a third. They're at first and third after this. And then a throwing error by De Los Santos. He tries to pick off Andujar at first base. He kind of throws it in the dirt, and it allows uh, Donaldson to come in and score. That's how it ends up happening. That's how they add 
their runs. Uh, then Connor Falefa would end up singling on a ground ball to right field. Andrew Har would come in to score from that one. Um, and then Higashioka would hit a sack fly, and that would bring in the last run. So things kind of fall apart. Uh, he leaves De Los Santos in there to kind of deal with all of this. He never goes out and get De Los Santos. He just leaves him in there to deal with the entire seventh inning, and he ends up giving up four runs. So, yeah, that's, ah, God, that hurts. Because this second game was actually a competitive baseball game. But the Guardians offense really, really did not bring much to the table. Um, The middle of their lineup was doing everything. He moves Miles Straw back to the leadoff spot for game two to face the lefty. Come on. Now, Straw did not earn to be back up in the leadoff spot. He should still be batting ninth. I don't know who you would hit leadoff. Maybe Owen Miller. But not Straw. He has not earned that spot back. Uh, you know, he eventually ends up pinch hitting Quan, but he does what he does. He takes Quan and uh, Andres Jimenez out of the game against the uh, lefty. Owen Miller gets uh, the start at second base. Owen Miller, interesting here. He does make a good sliding uh, snag on a ball that hops up on him. Uh, early in the game, but he can't do it late in the game. I think that does let one of the runs come into score here um, in the seventh inning. I believe that was uh, Isaiah Kanafalefa's uh, single into right field where a ball kind of hops underneath Owen Miller's glove. So he does make a good defensive play earlier, can't make the defensive play here in the uh, seventh inning. So, uh, man, yeah, this was a competitive game. Just Francona made some really strange decisions on the day, right? Kind of sacrificing game one here, leaving De Los Santos out there, you know, hanging him out to dry, making him go 25 pitches when he clearly didn't have it in the, not that he didn't have it, but the Yankees were all over him in the seventh inning here. And then, yeah, at that point, it's a six to one game. Your offense has shown no sign of life pretty much. I mean, three solo home runs, I'm not even counting all those runs that were, you know, achieved because Araldus Chapman is coming back from injury and couldn't find the strike zone, right? I'm erase those because those were ridiculous. The game was already out of hand. Chapman is still looked like he was still injured, frankly. Uh, so everything else is scored on three solo home runs on the day. So the Guardians' offense just could not put up any kind of fight. And when the New York, New York Yankees are hitting, that's one thing. They're tough enough to beat when they're hitting. When the Yankees are pitching. Man, they're going to be really, really tough to beat in the American League if their pitching is this good, right? If their bullpen is this solid. So, oh, God, it's a tough one. You end up losing the doubleheader. You get swept in the doubleheader. We get a chance to salvage a game today. Maybe it's a 140 start. They're throwing Montgomery out there against McKenzie. McKenzie has to stay away from home runs. And what is he doing? He's going up against the best home run team in baseball. So, I mean, baseball, usually whatever you expect, the opposite's going to happen. So, I watched McKenzie go out there and just throw a gem and not give up any home runs, right? That's usually whatever you expect, expect the opposite. So, uh, we'll see if the Guardians can salvage it, if they can get anything going against Montgomery. Uh, in this one, Montgomery is a lefty, but please, for the freaking, please keep Quan in the lineup. Keep Jimenez in the lineup. Go with your best lineup. Get Gabriel Arias back in there. I want to see Arias play a little bit more. Uh, figure out a way to get him in the lineup. 
Once again, uh, Ahmed Rosario is he's playing good. Ahmed Rosario is playing really good, but he creates such a logjam in this lineup. For a team that's built so much on flexibility and being able to play multiple positions, Ahmed Rosario at shortstop is the one guy who can't. And now you've got Gabriel Arias, a great shortstop, playing third base. You've got Andres Jimenez, a great shortstop, playing second base. And you've got Ahmed Rosario, an all-right shortstop, who can still hit the ball really well, stuck at shortstop. We can't move him anywhere. It's so funny how Ahmed Rosario, just by being Ahmed Rosario, creates this logjam on the infield. Uh, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what the lineup is today. Uh, if they can get Arias in there again, I want to see Arias play every day now that he's up here with Cleveland. I don't know how. I, it's got to be third base or second base or shortstop, right? So does Ahmed Rosario, maybe Ahmed Rosario gets a day to DH, right? Jose Ramirez got the DH in the second game. Maybe let Ahmed Rosario DH and you can get Gabriel Arias. We can see what Arias and Jimenez look like up the middle as a tandem. I want to see what that looks like. Because that could be the future. Oh, all right. That's something to get excited about at the end of the episode here with everything everything terrible from that doubleheader. It really was a rough day. Um, all right. Some 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 good Guardians news. I do want to shout this out because they, they put up a new mural at the ballpark, a Barrier Breakers mural that features Larry Doby, Satchel Paige, and Frank Robinson. It was Larry Doby Day. They had a big, you know, kind of celebration for him yesterday. Uh, Larry Doby Jr. threw out the first pitch. They had his number painted on the field. Um, these things are these things are pretty cool. It, it's it's feels good to know that our city, you know, the city of Cleveland, this franchise has played such an important role in breaking down barriers. It's it's a small thing, right? It's a game. It's baseball. Uh, it's not the entire civil rights movement, but it, it, it is, does make you feel good to know that our team had played an important role, even a small role, in breaking down some of those barriers, barriers that we have to continue to break down, right? So, yeah, so it's really cool that they had this day. They put up this mural at the stadium so that everybody coming into the stadium is going to see this and remember, you know, that's why we do these things. You have to remember you have to remember how hard it was to break down barriers, especially with everything. I mean, believe me, we're not getting into politics here. But with everything going on in the country right now, you got to remember the fight and the struggle people put to break down these barriers, and we can't let barriers come back up. So I think it's really great. This mural is up. It's huge. Everybody is going to get to see it when they come into the ballpark, and they're going to remember. They're going to remember the small steps that were taken in the game of baseball to help break down these barriers. So I thought that was definitely worth mentioning this morning. And uh, the last thing, I just want to go over some of the transactions that were made because there was a lot of stuff went on. So Oscar Gonzalez goes on the IL. McCarty comes up as the 27th player for the start. Arias comes up in Gonzalez's place. And then Karinchek gets added. He has to get activated. He cannot stay on the IL anymore. He can't be a rehab start anymore, a rehab assignment He's got to be activated and added back to the 40-man roster, which means they had to let somebody go. So they had to DFA Tobias Myers, who I believe was someone we got from Tampa Bay in the offseason. I believe it was a small trade made to get him. And he's a 23-year-old who's been stuck down at AAA. He never uh, you know, got a chance to be called up here. Uh, how was he doing in AAA? He was 1-9 in nine with a 6 ERA and 14 starts. All right, I understand why he didn't get the call up. 
what did we give up to him? Oh, we gave up a shortstop, Junior Camanero. So uh, a minor league shortstop. So it was a small transaction. We'll see if he clears DFA, if he clears waivers and ends up staying with AAA but off the 40-man roster or if another team scoops him up because most of our DFA guys get scooped up. It it's happens all around baseball. So some transactions just to keep your, you know, if you're wondering, wait, wait, how is this guy back or why is this guy gone? Those are some of the transactions that went down yesterday. All right, a long episode. And there's going to be another baseball game right around the corner. So let's wrap this thing up. Thank you to Phil and Louisville for the email. Like I say, at the end of every show, all your emails are welcome. I want to hear from the morning people. I love hearing your thoughts and the interaction. So thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Game one, it's the Yankees 13, the Guardians 4. Game two, it's the Yankees 6, the Guardians 1. We'll be back tomorrow to see how McKenzie does, if he can limit the home runs, who the heck gets the start against the lefty Montgomery. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I will probably be reacting to the lineup once it's announced. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.